come now's the time to worship come now's the time to give your heart come just as you are to worship come just as you are before your God come one day every tongue will confess you are God one day every knee will bow still the greatest treasure remains with those who gladly choose you now come now is the time to worship come now is the time to give your heart come just as you are to worship come just as you are before your God come willingly we choose to surrender our lives willingly our knees will bow willingly our hearts of souls will gladly choose you now come now is the time to worship. Come. Now is the time to give your heart. Come. Just as you are to worship. Come. Just as you are before your God come 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 <sighs> running around finding my own children <sighs> Of all the kids that get lost on a Sunday morning, it's mine. And the best part is I lose one, and then the other one goes to look for him. And then I find, then he comes back, and now i got to find the other one who's looking. I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> Could you imagine? This, this, is, this is why I don't. This is why I don't. It, one or two more, and I, I would just be up here drooling. So, all right. <laughs> Let's read the Bible. That's always productive. Thus says the Lord of hosts. They will thoroughly glean as the vine, the remnant of Israel. Pass your hand again like a grape gatherer over the branches. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ears are closed and they cannot listen. Behold, the word of the Lord has become a reproach to them. They have no delight in it. But I am full of the wrath. And the, I'm sorry, if I could read. And I, but I am full of the wrath of the Lord. I am weary of holding it in. Pour it out on the children in the street and on the gathering of the young men together. For both husband and wife shall be taken, yes. the aged and the very old. 
Their houses shall be turned over to others, their fields and their wives together. For I will stretch out my hand against the inhabitants of the land, declares the Lord. For, the, for from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for gain. And from the prophet, and from the prophet even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. They have he, they have, uh, cannot read today. They have healed the brokenness of my people superficially, saying, peace, peace, but there is no peace. Were they ashamed because of the abomination they have done? They were not even ashamed at all. They did not even know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall at the time that I punish them. They shall be cast down, says the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that in the midst of this world that we can be reminded that you have not forgotten and that you have not forsaken your people, but that every act, whether good or evil, will be brought before you. And we will stand or we will fall, not on the basis of us, Lord, but on the basis of Christ. And because of Christ, Lord, we can stand. And while we know there is a world that will not stand, we ask that you would strengthen our hearts and our minds and our voices, Lord, that we would walk faithfully in the truth, in the truth, proclaiming your great goodness so that the wrath of you will not fall upon them, but will have fallen upon Christ. Lord, strengthen our witness, strengthen our faith, that we would be your people, called by your name, walking faithfully towards your kingdom. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Celebrate the presence of the Lord. He is worthy to be praised. Celebrate the presence of the Lord. He is worthy to be praised. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice. Celebrate the presence of the Lord. He is worthy to be praised. Celebrate the presence of the Lord. He is worthy to be praised. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice. Oh.
Before I forget later, their Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. They reminded me that it's today. There's apparently a gift at the end of the service, so I'm not in charge of any of this, so if you have questions, ask Cameron. <laughs> so there you go. I have covered what I know, therefore I am done. Um, business meeting next Sunday, because we didn't want to have it today, because they told me having a meeting on Father's Day would be bad taste. So there you go. That's the answer. Last year, I think we actually still had the business meeting on Father's Day. I don't know if anybody complained, but Becca complained, right? <laughs> you, you must take up the mantle for Jonathan now. <laughs> so, reminder also, though, we're having lunch next week, so bring food. We appreciate it. We will have stuff. So that's an encouragement to have the business meeting be nice and short, because you can't get to lunch until we get to the business meeting. So there you go. Although we will have a handful of things we got to do, not much at the business meeting as of right now. As of reminder, um, I think it's after the next song, is we actually have it set up that there's a song and then there's a slide to remind you, and then during the next songs when we can do that. We're going back to taking up the offerings again. Yay! <laughs> so ushers have been designated. I think you've been drafted whether you liked it or not. So again, if that bugs you, I understand. Just give them a wave off and they'll know, and then we, you know, whatever. It'll be all right. Um, I'm going to butcher this name. I apologize in advance. We had Starsevich. See, I was at Starkovich, so I was close. So if you guys would remember this week, um, Nick Starsevich, that is Janine's husband, having some health issues and some different things that are going to have to be decided coming up. If you would pray for them, we'd greatly appreciate it. I'll get you the spelling this week so we can get it posted when we send it all out there. So, all right, anything else? I have a long list, but it seems like it goes quickly some days. Am I forgetting something? Oh, Put Bill on the prayer list also. Apparently, he apparently see, Judy's not here, so we can blame Judy. Judy pushed him in the garden, and he hurt himself. Yep. <laughs> as soon as as soon as the Terry, Terry goes, he fell. I'm like, you don't, you don't have to lie. You can tell us the truth. Judy pushed him, right? <laughs> so are you feeling a little bit better at least? No. No. So be in prayer for Bill, bad back, and you're supposed to be traveling next week. So that's always fun to hurt yourself and then try to travel. So. That's, is that what it was? Hey, that one wasn't for me. <laughs> Go team. All right. Thanks, Danny. This one you can say out loud. The Pharisees accused Jesus of welcoming what kind of people? Say it loud. That's right, which is always my favorite little complaint because you hang out with people who sin as opposed to the rest of humanity that, what, doesn't sin? This is one of those little reminders that the big problem with the Pharisees is a self-righteous idolatry. Remember, while the consequences of sin in this world are typically because of the outward action, sin originates not in what you do, but in who you are, how you think, and what you want. So, of course, Jesus hangs out with sinful people. That's the only kind there are. Yeah. And, the, and, the great ex and the great declaration there is the physician heals who? Sick people. You don't wake up one morning and be like, everything is amazing. My back doesn't hurt. My sinuses are clear. My vision is awesome. I think I'm going to go hang out in the doctor's office for a couple hours. Yeah, no, nobody does that. Why? When do you go to the doctor? 
when you're sick or when something you know, and if you're like me you go when like do i have to go is there any pause can we just amputate and then i don't have to worry about it because yeah i've told you my theory on things if i don't go to the doctor they can't find anything wrong with me this is my new theory on life so so far so good <laughs> i know it doesn't i know i'm gonna end up having to go at some point but anyway no, the physician works on people who are ill or who people who need repair. So does the great physician. And luckily for us, that's everybody. So that's why the message can be proclaimed. That's why we can walk faithfully and not worry because the, the work of Christ covers sinners, past, present, future, good, bad, and ugly. So don't say this one out loud. We're going to get you deep into your Bible thinking. Which prophet was a shepherd and took care of sycamore fig trees and was a native of Tekoa? Be like, oh, yeah, I know that guy. <laughs> no, that's the Lakota. It might be. Who knows? Isn't everything somewhere in the Midwest? When in doubt, it's either in this Midwest or in the South or in the West. No. Don't say this one. Dig through. It will do you good. Read your prophetic books and think through why this guy for this message. It will help make sense of some things moving forward. All right. Last chance. Anything else? I'm going to get out of the way and we can continue on with music. When we walk with the Lord and the light of his word, what a glory sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still. And with all who will trust and obey, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Not a shadow can rise, not a cloud in the sky, but his smile quickly drives it away. Not a doubt nor a fear, not a sign nor a tear, can abide while we trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Then in fellowship sweet, we will sit at his feet, or we'll walk by his side during the way. What he says we will do, where he sends we will go, never fear, smile, trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other 
to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. To be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound in time shall be no more And the morning breaks eternal bright and fair When the same on earth shall gather over on the other shore And the roll is called up yonder I'll be there When the roll is called up yonder When the when the roll is called up yonder, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. On that bright and cloudless morning, when the dead in Christ shall rise, and the glory of his resurrection share. When his chosen one shall gather to their home beyond the skies, and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the roll, when the roll is called up yonder, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the roll is called up yonder, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. Oh, yeah. The roll is called up yonder. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the roll is called up yonder, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. Let us labor for the masters from the dawn till setting sun. And let us talk of all his wondrous love and care. Then when all of life is over and our work on earth is done, and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the roll is called up yonder, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. 
When the roll is gold up yonder. When the roll is gold up yonder, I'll be there. When the roll is gold up yonder, I'll be see one other thing I guess I should mention I didn't see this is again where my brain goes sideways and I don't remember everything we, you guys aren't used to that by now are you and it's going to be worse today because some of you are in the wrong spots just so you know and that's I mean this is a Baptist church once you sit in a row that is that is where you stay I'm it's working <laughs> Don't you know the first rule of Baptist church is you put the front row so close because nobody sits on it? <laughs> there you go. Um, uh, forgot to say two things of thanks. One, thank you for prayers. Obviously, I made it back safe. I didn't yell at anybody, though I was tempted. I believe one of my text messages to Cameron when a guy got up on the microphone for the third time for something that was completely inane was my exact text message was, I want this guy launched into orbit. So if you watch any of the live stream, you'll know what I'm talking about. If not, you're probably better off. But at some point, we'll have to figure out a time that we can sit down. I'll give you a full report, run down everything that happened. There was good, there was bad, and there was some ugly. Uh, we got protested again this year. Go team. Um, Tuesday morning, they were out in force. They had a couple of guys with good, loud voices on the megaphones yelling at us. Um, by Tuesday night, there was one woman left on her sign, and she was literally, she had it on the ground, and she was just leaning on it like this. <laughs> I felt bad for her, but she, she was the last holdout. The rest had cleared out, and she was just sitting there leaning on it. Apparently, according to their protest, we are all evil and complicit in the sin of abortion. I have not quite figured out how, but maybe I will one of these days. I don't know if they were the Westboro folks or not, because Westboro, we had it. Dallas. The Dallas Convention in 2018 had Westboro show up. We didn't have too many protests in 2019. So apparently we're getting back into the public eye. We'll get some lovely protesting going forward. So thank you for that, and thank you for the prayers for Cameron. She is here. She is doing much better. Her nose is almost its normal size again. <laughs> they took the uh, the splints out, and it was one of those, they had to snip the stitches and all of that good stuff. You can watch on YouTube. It takes 30 seconds, but it's like her whole head went down like in a cartoon when they pulled the plug and all the inflated air comes out. Her nose basically did that on, on Friday when they took the splints out. So I greatly appreciate it and all the calls and things checking in and keeping up with her. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. So with all of that said, let's be useful. Exodus 22, we are continuing our march through the laws, but, but we get new topics because we get new laws. See, every government everywhere, when in doubt, do what? Write a new law every, every time. Exactly. Now, this is one of the beauties, though, of God's law as opposed to man's law. 
God's law gives us a new topic because it covers a new avenue of life that we have to deal with and understand. It enables us to see the character and nature of God and grow and adjust to it as we move forward. This is one of the things that hopefully we've done a good job of explaining the last couple weeks as we go through this, is that just because these laws were written for that people at that time in that world does not mean they are silent to us today in our world. We can understand the principles and understand the ideals behind them and apply them regardless of time, culture, or language, or anything. This is the differentiator, one of the differentiations between what God decrees and what man decrees. If you would like an example of a man-made religion trying to operate on man-made laws, well, you can understand why every Islamic country looks the same for the last 1,300 years because their law was written to a people at a time in a world, and it does not and cannot change. The technology doesn't change. The clothing doesn't change. The interactions of humanity does not change. Um, that's why the style of clothing, the style of dress, the style of the society in general is the same from 700 to 2021. Whereas in Christian culture, we can progress technologically. We can progress scientifically because we understand we're operating in God's world, run according to God's principles, and we can apply his law in light of where we are in the world, regardless of what our level of technology is, what our level of intellect is, and what our level of culture might be. Make sense? So that's hopefully what we're going to do as we continue to move forward with this. Now, let's see, 15 verses. We can, we can just read all of these and go back through them, right? This is short enough. All right. So let's dive in, 22, 1 through 15. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he shall pay five oxen for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. If the thief is caught while breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there will be no blood guiltiness on his account. But if the sun has risen on him, there will be blood guiltiness on his account. He shall surely make restitution. And if he owns nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. If what is stolen is actually found alive in his possession, whether an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall pay double. If a man lets a field or vineyard be grazed bare and lets his animal loose so that it grazes on another man's field, he shall make restitution from the best of his own field and the best of his own vineyard. If a fire breaks out and spreads to thorn bushes so that the stacked grain or the standing grain or the field itself is consumed, he who started the fire shall surely make restitution. If a man gives his neighbor money or goods to keep for him, and it is stolen from the man's house, if the thief is caught, he shall pay double. If the thief is not caught, then the judge, I'm sorry, the owner of the house shall appear before the judges to determine whether he laid his hands on his neighbor's property. For every breach of trust, whether it is for ox or for donkey, for sheep, for clothing, or for any lost thing about which one says, this is it, the case of both parties shall come before the judges. He whom the judges condemn shall pay double to his neighbor. If a man gives his neighbor a donkey or an ox, a sheep, or any animal to keep for him, and it dies or is hurt or is driven away while no one is looking, an oath before the Lord shall be made by the two of them that he has not laid hands on his neighbor's property, and its owner shall accept it, and he shall not make restitution. But if it is actually stolen from him, he shall make restitution to its owner. If it is torn to pieces, let him bring it as evidence. He shall not make restitution for what has been torn to pieces. And if a man borrows anything from his neighbor and it is injured or dies while its owner is not with it, he shall make full restitution. If the owner is with it, he shall not make restitution. If it is hired, it came for its hire. You guys have all your oxen and sheep lined up so that you can go home and write all these down, right? All right. I promise you we will make sense of this by the end of the day. 
So, if a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he shall pay five oxen for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. Why? Because stuff matters to God. Why? It's his ultimately, and he has done what with you? Where did you get your stuff? God provided it. See, we lie to ourselves in the modern world and say, well, I worked for it and I labored. Yes, you did, but who gave you the skills, the tools, the intellect, and the ability to have that job? Who gave you the opportunity? See, the modern world will tell you, well, you just, you're just privileged. No, you are placed by a sovereign God, sovereignly, in his creation to operate in a way that glorifies and brings honor to him. So he has given you those neighbors. He has given you that job. He has given you those skills. Therefore, the wage that you have earned from that, from that skill has been a gift from God, and therefore he cares about the things he has entrusted to you. We're going to double back on that in a little bit, but this also lines up with why the commandment is what it is. Thou shalt not steal for all of those reasons. The other reason, this is a lesson in trust. The reason why you don't take stuff is when you rob from your neighbor, who are you ultimately shaking your fist at? Exactly. Philippians chapter 4, one of our coffee cups, right? I always talk about the coffee cup verses. Let's read the whole context. It makes more sense. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need, because I can do all things through him who gives me strength. See, this has nothing to do with your regular life. This is Paul talking about, hey, when I have plenty, I rejoice and serve God. When I have nothing... I rejoice and serve God. And in both instances, who is the one empowering me? It is God. Because if I have nothing, he is my sustenance and my strength. If I have everything, he has given me my sustenance and my strength. That's why he can do all things through Christ who gives him strength. Now, notice again in mind, in mind here. If this were our modern, lovely, you know, kind and, and, and infinitely wise legal system, if you were caught stealing someone's car and you sold it for parts, when the police caught you, what would happen? Lock them up and throw away the key, right? Why aren't we doing that here? Instead, you're paying back. Why? Remember the law of God always has restitution and restoration in mind. Go back to Deuteronomy 15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this day. See, that was connected to slavery, right? You released the slave at the end of seven years because you were a slave redeemed by God. But that's also the principle upon which all of God's law is holding. You pay back what has been stolen because that is how you restore the wrong that you have done to your neighbor. Does us no good for you to steal the ox, kill it, eat it, have a barbecue, and then we put you in jail. The farmer is still without his ox. Your family is now without you. Who has been, who, what's been recovered here? Nothing. Not only that, our, our world, who's paying for you while you're in our jail? So I got to pay you twice? This, 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 this is not a restorative nature. This is punitive. Now this payment may be a little bit punitive because that's because of what? Who are you sinning against? 
Remember, this is not a fist shake at your neighbor. This is a fist shake at God. You're saying that you haven't provided me enough, so I need to take it from him. That's why it's punitive. It's a reminder that you have not wronged your neighbor primarily. You have turned your back on the God who rules this land, the God who rules his people, who provides for them, who protects them, who undergirds them. You have created a debt greater than your theft because you have warred and created a debt with God. Now, Christian, carry that idea forward. Isn't that a lovely lesson on sin? Because what will you do to make up for your sin? See? Shall I give of the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? It's almost like there's a Bible verse that questions that idea. <laughs> See, you can't give. You can't eliminate that debt. This is part of the lesson that's being taught to the Israelites here, is yes, you've stolen from your neighbor. Now pay him back. Well, why do I have to pay so much? Because you've rejected the provision of God, you've rejected the grace and mercy of your neighbor, and you have violated the covenant between God and his people and between you and God. You've got a bigger problem there. It's not just how you see him, it's how you see him. It should make you look and realize that I have bigger debts than some ox and some sheep. I have sin debts. I have an offering that must be given at the tabernacle. I have tithes that must be paid to the work of the temple, and I can't ever seem to catch up. Exactly. It should make you long for the gracious provision of God, for the mercy of his pouring out for your sin. This is always meant to be the thing that leads you. Again, for the one who is seeking to honor God, the law is a lighted path that leads you to the Savior. Because it shows you the grace and the mercy that you are trying to find. And it says, here, look, you can't overcome but God does. You can't cover the debt, but God does. If you're not seeking to follow God, well, this is just, again, this is that bludgeon, right? Just, just keeps clubbing you over the head because you cannot make up for it. It is meant to be a burden. That's why the call of Christ relieves the burden. What does he say? Come to me, all who are what? Weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Because he understands that if you've understood this law rightly, you have been burdened. You have seen your debt. You have seen your sin, and I can't get rid of it. Again, go find a good version of Pilgrim's Progress. They, um, John Bunyan does an excellent job of explaining this because Christian realizes he's walking around the city of destruction with the burden upon his back. And when he gets to the wicked gate and he beholds the cross, the burden falls away. And he can suddenly walk and he can breathe and he can stand up straight. He is now free. It's a great explanation of what's going on here. Now, there's more. I feel like one of those uh, infomercials. But wait, there's more. No shipping charges this morning, though, so you're in luck. So verse 2. If the thief is caught while breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there will be no blood guiltiness on his account. So in other words, if you break into somebody's house, farm, field, barn in the middle of the night, and they find you and punch you, and you die, whose fault is that? Yours. You want me to pick on my kids real quick? All right, Jada, you awake back there? All right, if you play stupid games, what do you win? There you go, girl. You play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. That's what this is right here. You break in, the owner finds you, smacks you in the shovel, something bad happened to you. You kind of were engaged in something dumb, therefore, don't be surprised. The other reason for this, who made you die? God did. I mean... There are all sorts of lovely, weird stories. Talk about something weird from this week. For some odd reason, I can't remember why. Don't interrupt and explain why, please. 
Jada was explaining to me how she wanted to build something to go over Niagara Falls. And I think, I forget what she had, but I told her, you need a barrel. And she goes, why do I need a barrel? Because anybody who ever survives going over goes over in a barrel. She goes, why? Because that's the only chance you've got. But there are actually stories of people who have fallen out of the boats and gone over the falls and survived. Just like there's people who have done all the scientific work and the measurements and made the, the, the hermetically sealed capsules, and, the, and they go over and die. Well, who made those decisions? Author of life, author of death. So that farmer could whack you upside the head with the shovel, and you could die. Or you could not. Whose hand is that in? God's. Because who is the just judge of all the earth? This is one of the places where, Christian, you will bump up against the world, understanding that we have an eternal mindset. The reason why we do not love the thing, the world or the things of this world is because we have an eternity in mind. We are looking for a world that is to come. Well, they don't like me. I don't care. They're either going to get on board and like me because they're following after the same Savior, or the wrath of God abides upon them. I don't care what they think. I care what God thinks, and that's the difference. Um, Exodus 21, it was a reminder of this a couple verses ago. He who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. But if he did not lie in wait for him, but God let him fall into his hand, then I will appoint you a place to which he may flee. This is an expansion of that same concept. If you're not going out plotting to murder someone, but you catch somebody breaking in and you subdue them and something bad happens to them, that's not a murder. Maybe a killing, but it's not a murder. Why? You didn't plan it, but also, whose stuff is it? And who gave it to you? Why? And you're like, <sighs> well, no, he provides for you, but he gave it to you so that you would steward and show responsibility before him with it. You have been given authority over the things in your world. You've been given authority over the things that God has provided for you. And anytime you've been given an authority, you have by definition taken on a responsibility. You must care for it. You must safeguard it. You must defend it from harm. That is part of being in charge. Let's continue with that idea. Verse 3. But if the sun has risen on him, there will be blood guiltiness on his account. He shall surely make restitution. If he owns nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. So in other words, if it's daylight and you can see who it is and you walk up behind him and hit him back in the head with a shovel, what would you do that for? You could see him. You could see who it was. You could see that he wasn't threatening you. You could have gone and gotten some other guys from town. You could have gotten the neighbors. You had options available. Therefore, you don't get to use God's law as a cover. Like, well, he was stealing my ox, so I smacked him. Well, he looks kind of small. <laughs> this, remember, this isn't a world where he might be packing a, a pistol under his, you know, under his tunic. If he's just standing there taking some chickens, what do you do? Well, go call help and follow him. We're going to do what when we get enough guys together? We're going to get our chickens back, and then we're going to make him pay for his theft, and everything's going to be all right. This is not a time to enact justice, because who will enact justice? God will. So you have to think. You have to evaluate. You see this in other areas of the law. Deuteronomy 22 gives you an interesting corollary to this. If there is a girl who is a virgin engaged to a man, and another man finds her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of that city, and you shall stone them to death. The girl, because she did not cry out in the city, and the man, because he has violated his neighbor's wife. Thus you shall purge the evil from among you. Notice how 
There's a distinction made there, right? But if, in the na- but if in the field the man finds the girl who is engaged and the man forces her and lies with her, then only the man who lies with her shall die. You shall do nothing to the girl. There is no sin in this girl worthy of death, for just as the man rises up against his neighbor and murders him, so is this case. When he found her in the field, the girl cried out, but there was no one to save her. We're making distinctions. We're making understandings because there's an opportunity for help. There's an opportunity for aid. If you're in the middle of the city and you're not crying out for help, because let's be honest, in this world, the expectation is if you cry out for help, what's going to happen? In their world, you start yelling, help, help, help. What's everybody supposed to start doing? Come and help. I know we have a slightly different world, but at the same token, you still do what? When something bad happens, you yell what? Help, 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 help. I mean, Random bizarre example from this morning. Just because I see all the stuff nobody else sees and I can hear all the stuff nobody else hears because I'm looking at it. During one of the songs, I just noticed somebody walking across the foyer. (laughs) Couldn't place a face. And I'm like, there's a dude in shorts and no sleeves walking across the foyer. And it wasn't Daryl because he's out of town. (laughs) So I did what? Went and grabbed Mike. Hey, do you know who that is? Who who is? Come here. (laughs) We walked down the foyer, walked up the hallway. Somebody was returning chairs that were borrowed. It was um, Marsha's son. <laughs> and he was looking how to get to the back door. He, he saw there was a storm coming, and they had the chairs in the open trailer and didn't want him to get stuck in the rain, so he hurried up and brought him back real quick. Don't go running out to tackle a guy by myself. I do what? Let's grab somebody real quick. If nothing else, if one of us gets something thrown at us, what can happen for the other one? Hey, run back and get some help. I can do something. Call somebody. Same idea here. The world is supposed to be operating in a way that when we see our fellow human being in distress, we do what? We help them. This is, again, where the modern world and the modern system conditions you to do the wrong thing. We've, I've, I've made mention of this before. Used to be, you know, fa- rewind, you know, 50, 80, 100 years. If you needed help, you needed money, you needed food, where'd you go? You went to neighbor, and if neighbor didn't have anything, we took you where? We took you to a church. Because if, no, if I haven't got anything, surely somebody at the church will have what? Something. Now you need that help. Where do you go? We got a social worker for this, right? We can get you money for your bills. We can get you money for your food. We can get you money for your health care. And look, I'm not saying those things are evil. I'm saying they're misplaced. That's not the government's job. That's our job. That's our job. We don't do it because they said they would, and we went, okay. And now we're to the point where they got more money than we do, and we're like, well, I can't help you as much as they can, so go. We think about it wrongly because we're not thinking about it from the perspective of God. We're thinking about it from the perspective of this world. There you go. And once again, the reason why this is here is because even for the owner, your Bible does not have a category for someone not having responsibility. It it just doesn't. Even children who are not accountable to the law are still accountable to who? And responsible for what? They're accountable to their parents and responsible to do what? What their parents have instructed and told them. They still have a responsibility to live in this world. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Being always of good courage, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are of good courage and rather prefer to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Which at this point most of us can say, amen. Oops, sorry. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. 
See, that's something that should guide both the thief and the farmer in this instance. So you hear rustling in your barn. The thief should be thinking what? Man, it's the middle of the day. Somebody's going to hear me and see me, and I'm going to get busted, and you know what I need to do? I need to go home. I need to go, this, I'm in a bad spot doing a bad thing in a bad way, and I need to go home. Likewise, when the farmer comes up with his shovel and he sees the guy taking a chicken, he's got to think what? Oh, I could whack him, or I could yell at him and see if he runs off and identify him, or see if he takes the chicken and go back to the house and get my three boys and see what's going on, and then we can follow him. Because, I mean, there's like 8,000 miles of field around here, and I can see him run for four days. So, I mean, we'll, we'll see who he is, and we'll run him down. I am thinking, why? I don't want to wrong him because I'm going to eventually stand before who? God. I'm going to give an answer for who I am and what I'm doing, and most importantly, why I'm doing it. We don't think like this. Christian, we need to. We need to evaluate because this is the place that we stand. Now, this is where it gets interesting. Verse 4. If what he stole is actually found alive in his possession, whether an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall pay double. So if it's an ox, he's got to pay five ox. Oxen, right? If it's a sheep, he's got to pay four sheep. But if you catch him and he still has it alive, he's now got to pay... Ten oxen and eight sheep. Why? Well, why would you steal livestock? To eat. I would steal livestock to eat. I'm poor, I'm starving, I need it for my family, so I stole it so I can cook it, kill it, cook it, and eat it. That's the progression of things typically done. If I'm not doing that, then why did I steal it? See, either profit from it or there's a much weirder example. See, here's bad, you want bad movie reference of the day? There you go. Michael Caine from The uh, the Dark Knight. Some men just want to watch the world burn. Why are you stealing it if you don't need it? You are shaking your fist at God. You are harming your neighbor. You are rejecting the law, breaking the covenant, doing all of these things for What? All right, let's make sure we put a real good penalty on this guy so that he knows that this is bizarre and this is wrong. That's why it's a double penalty here, because we can't figure out why you're doing this because you don't apparently have a need, so we're more worried about you. And if we let you get away with this now, what's going to happen down the road? Exactly. This is, again, this is Proverbs coming to fruition. Proverbs chapter 30. Two things I asked of you. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, that I, that I not be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or that I not be in want and steal and profane, and profane the name of my God. So always forget, there's, there's temptations on both sides. This is why money doesn't buy happiness. Because if you don't have anything, you get miserable because you don't have anything and you want something and you start coveting and you start making an idol out of things you don't have. But when you have everything, what do you appreciate? Typically nothing. And you again profane the name of God because you forsake the provision that he's given. You don't engage in good stewardship. And you're not treating with respect and responsibility the things that God has provided to you. Here's an example of it codified in law. So, let's continue. If a man lets a field or a vineyard be grazed bare and lets his animal loose so that it grazes in another man's field, he shall make restitution from the best of his own field and the best of his own vineyard. See, this is where all of these ideas start to come full circle. That's a big deal, actually. Go all the way back to Genesis 1. 
God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Who's in charge of this place? No, no. See, God's in charge of this place, but who has he given authority over it? Us. They always remember, the temptation is, we're in charge here. Mm, you've come very dangerously close to that line. No, you're not in charge here. You're operating on the authority vested in you by God. There's a difference between those two statements. One puts the onus where? One puts a responsibility, but the ultimate onus on God. There's a difference here. Now, that matters to this because this is an outworking here. You are not the owner of this world because God is. You are the manager. If, you, if the owner of the company comes in and doesn't like what the manager is doing, what does he get to do? Fire him and hire another manager. Christian, welcome to why people die. <laughs> there are some times when the owner comes down and goes, no, that's, that's not how we're operating here. That's not how we're running this place. It's time to give that stuff to somebody else. This is part of the wisdom of Ecclesiastes because what does Solomon say? You run, a, you run your life, you build a business, you build, you build this empire, and you've done all these wonderful things, then you turn it over to your numbskull sons who are going to run it into the ground. Who made that decision? You didn't. God did. You might have done the best you could, and they just turned into numbskulls. It, it does happen. <laughs> Amazingly, sinful people sin and turn out in sinful ways. Who'd have thunk it? Now, maybe you were a numbskull when raising your kids, and that's why they are numbskulls. You know who's going to have to make that determination? You and God are. But the point is, you've done all of these things to build up this empire, and at the end of the day, what do you get for it? Doesn't matter. Because God's going to pick who's going to get it next, and if your kids mismanage it, then someone else will be in charge of it. And if they don't mismanage it, then God bless them. They did a wonderful job, but it doesn't matter. You're supposed to be thinking of something bigger, something farther, something beyond that, which is, again, why we have a responsibility, not an ownership. We are not to domineer the creation. We are supposed to manage it and steward it rightly. Exodus 23, something we'll get to in a couple weeks. I will not drive them out before you in a single year, that the land may not become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. This is one of the reminders that God gives the Israelites as they're going into the land. Is God's going to fight them, fight for the Israelites. God's going to wipe out the peoples of the land on behalf of the Israelites. But he's not just going to drop a nuke from heaven and clear the land at one shot because the Israelites aren't dispersed enough and they're not prepared to inhabit the cities and run the fields and take care of the animals that are there. So what would happen? It just become a complete mess and then they'll never get ahead of it. It's kind of it's like what happens in your house. As you let a room get dirty and then you let the next room get dirty and then all of a sudden you look up and you're like, the house is a mess. How did this happen? Yeah, it's one of those deals. And they, God does not want the Israelites looking at this land that he has given them and going, we're never going to catch up on it. So he promises them what? We're going to take the land how? Piece by piece, bit by bit, so that you take it, you secure it, you hold it, and then we move forward. And you take it, and you secure it, and you hold it, and you move forward. That way they can manage the land so that they can exercise their stewardship rightly, honoring God, caring for the provision that he has given. I feel like I got something caught right here. I'm not drinking enough water since I've been back. I, I, did, I did bizarre math while I was gone. As I spent way too long in a car and way too long in a meeting just periodically taking a sip of water, I brought a case of water with me. 
It had 45 bottles, and I left and opened the case on Monday morning, and I couldn't pack all my water bottles for the meeting, so I just kept refilling them. So by my count, I think I drank 60 of those water bottles in four days. I did the math. It's about two gallons a day. <laughs> I wonder why I'm a little dry now. I'm drinking water like a normal human being, and I'm going, <laughs> so there you go. Once again, all of this to summarize, we rule under God's authority, not our own. Now, does he give us a tremendous amount of leeway in that management? So you could argue he gives us too much, but he does give you leeway. If you'd like an example of this, great story from the New Testament in Acts chapter 5. A man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge. And bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And as he heard those words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last, and the great fear came over all who heard of it. See, the problem wasn't that he held back some of the price. The problem was he lied about it. God gave you that property. Who's in charge of it? You. You're not mistreating it. You're like, I want to sell it and give some money to the church. Awesome. So he sold it. Here's the money I got for the property. All of it? All of it. Well, who made that decision? He did. If he could have said, no, it wasn't all of it. it was, it's half of it. I need the other half for some expenses and some things I want to do. You know what they would have said? Awesome. Thank you. We appreciate it. The problem isn't that you wanted to keep some of the money for the property that God gave you. The problem is you wanted to lie about it and engage in prideful idolatry to make yourself look so amazingly awesome. You're in charge of your stuff. Manage it. Be responsible for it. But recognize that you're responsible for it unto God. You're managing it on his behalf. Case in point, verse 6. If a fire breaks out and spreads to thorn bushes so that the stacked grain or the standing grain or the field itself is consumed, he who started the fire shall surely make restitution. That's reasonable, right? You burned it. It's like the store. If you used to have the signs in the store, you break it, you buy it. You burned it, you pay for it. If we went back to this, I wonder if we'd have fewer wildfires out in the, in the, in the Pacific Northwest and on the West Coast. I doubt it, but, you know, we can dream, right? Same idea here. You mistreated it. You mismanaged it. Therefore, you pay for it. You take care of it and make it right. If a man gives his neighbor money or goods to keep for him, and it is stolen from the man's house, if the thief is caught, he shall pay double. All right, obvious enough. You gave me something to hold on to. Someone else stole it from me. When we catch the guy, he pays for it. That's fair, right? He did the crime. He makes the restitution. What happens if we can't find the thief? <laughs> not necessarily. If the thief is not caught, then the owner of the house shall appear before the judges to determine whether he laid his hands on his neighbor's property. For every breach of trust, whether it is for ox, for donkey, for sheep, for clothing, or for any lost thing about which one says, this is it. The case of both parties shall come before the judges. He whom the judges condemn shall pay double to his neighbor. Because once again, for whom are the judges ruling? God. Who's giving those judges that authority? God. So when they say we've examined it, we've looked at it, this is your fault. 
In Israel, that has the effect of who saying it's your fault? God. Deuteronomy 16. You shall appoint for yourselves judges and officers in all your towns, which the Lord your God is giving you according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with righteous judgment. Something like something just woke up, didn't it? You shall not distort justice. You shall not be partial. You shall not take a bribe. For a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and perverts the words of the righteous. Justice and only justice you shall pursue, that you may live and possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you. That's how this is supposed to work. Now again, because the modern world wants to mess this up so badly, let's define justice. Because <laughs> go ahead and watch the news and define justice, I dare you. And let me know how that works out for you. See, justice is when you have righted a wrong, or you have undone the harm of a wrong. Now, can we always do that in this world? No. Ultimately, justice is done by who? God. And it is done in eternity. We do the best we can with it in the meantime. This is why if you, uh, let me see. Let me see when this changed. Probably, yeah. Late 90s, so if you got through, well, early 2000s, yeah. If you got through high school before the turn of the millennia, this will make sense to you, okay? You probably heard in your social studies classes, and I know because I was supposed to be teaching this, but our justice system is set up that we would rather what? We would rather for 10 guilty men to go free than for what to happen? One innocent man to be punished. Why did we set up a legal system in that manner? Because we knew that even if we do this and we set 10 guilty men free, we have upheld justice by not imprisoning and not punishing the one innocent man. And we don't have to fear that because who's going to take care of the 10 guilty men? God will. We have an eternal mindset. Now, understand your world and what you're seeing now. Take away the eternal mindset. Give yourself a mindset where the only thing that matters is the here and the now and what is more important. I don't care if we punish an innocent guy. We need to make sure what? That every guilty person goes down for their crimes. Because justice is where? It's here. And it is now. And that is a secular view of justice because the eternal perspective has been taken away. Christian, you have to be okay with the idea that we are not going to see justice in every instance in this world. We do the best we can. We encourage, we strengthen, we do all that we are able to do. But at the end of the day, we have to trust that for every sin committed under heaven, the person will either bear that penalty themselves or Christ will have borne it on their behalf. And we have to be okay with the fact that this world is going to be imperfect, this world is going to be broken, but that in God's kingdom and in eternity, there will be perfection and there will not be brokenness. And until we get okay with that, we're going to keep kind of vacillating and being driven about back and forth in the world because that's all the world has. They don't have a foundation. So they have to run over here to this cause and then they have to run over here to this cause and then they have to run over here to this cause because they're all what? They're all, which one's the most important cause? Yes. <laughs> this is most important right now because it's where we are. And 20 minutes from now when we've all run over here, that's more important. And it's just as important as that was and maybe even more important. And then we're going to run over here. There's just no standard. There's no foundation. It doesn't make sense because it can't make sense because it's focused on who? 
us, and it's focused on the now. It has forgotten God, it has forgotten eternity, and therefore it misdefines justice, it misdefines righteousness, and it misdefines love. They're all forsaken and destroyed because we do not understand that it is God who reigns eternally, and it is God who judges eternally. So I can entrust myself. Look, even if you're the neighbor and you didn't steal it, you bring your case to the judges, and they're like, well, you know, the evidence just doesn't look good, so we think you did take it. You need to pay double. What do you do? I go home and pay double because I know what? You know what? There's going to be a day when you and I will stand before God, and you know what he's going to tell you? I didn't do it. And I'm going to forgive you in that day, and you're going to apologize to me, and we're going to forgive each other, and we're going to go into eternity as brothers because God's justice will stand. Brokenness will stand now, but God's justice will stand righteously in eternity. And when we understand that, we can actually stand rightly in this world. Again, as the image bearers of God, we exercise dominion on whose behalf? His, not ours. So you see, go back to Abraham. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the Lord Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. In other words, above reproach. This was, this was repeated for the prophets. This command was repeated for most of the kings. John 15, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. And you're going, that sounds an awful lot like law. Do what's right, and I stay in Christ. And the answer is, you're right. It is law, because grace preceded it. Why are you keeping his commandments? Because he has already redeemed you from the, from the weight of your sin, empowered you with the work of the Holy Spirit, and strengthened you to walk the path of sanctification, which means over time you're going to do this better and better and figure this out as you go more along. I didn't say you'll be perfect, but you'll be blameless because you'll be seeking to honor God, cleaned by the work of Christ, righteous in his kingdom because Christ abides and proclaims on our behalf. So again, we have an active righteousness and a passive righteousness. This is your fancy theological portion of the program. You are passively righteous in Christ. When you have done nothing good, Christ died. And because of your repentance and faith, trusting in his provision, he stands before the Father and says, that dirty rotten one right there is mine, and he's clean, and he's good, and you are passively righteous. Now in sanctification, you are actively righteous by the aid of the Holy Spirit who is empowering you, by your understanding of the commands of Scripture, by your love of God, love of neighbor, spurring you to action. You are seeking to honor God in all that you are and all that you are doing. Therefore, you are actively seeking to be righteous. And sometimes you'll run across situations where they don't seem to mesh, and you know what you do in those moments? You be actively righteous. That's why I said, if you think you've been wronged as the neighbor, and you go, I didn't steal it, but you know what? I'm going to pay. Because that's what the law commands. And that's what the judges have determined. And if they're unjust judges, you know who's going to take care of them? <laughs> God's going to get them, and I haven't got to worry about it. In the meantime, we'll be all right, and I will be righteous in the sight of God with who I am and what he has called me to do. Now, if a man gives his neighbor a donkey, an ox, a sheep, or in any animal to keep for him, and it dies or is hurt or is driven away while no one's looking, an oath before the Lord shall be made by the two of them that he has not laid hands on his neighbor's property, and its owner shall accept it, and he shall not make restitution. We didn't even run to the judges here. Why not? That one word right there. An oath. 
taken before who? Before the Lord. An oath before Yahweh. Exodus 20 again. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, but if he's willing to borrow my stuff and then steal it, do you think he's willing to lie to me about it? Probably. Go back to our New Testament story, Acts 5.4. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. An oath before the Lord. Well, if he's willing to steal from you, he's definitely willing to lie to you. If he's willing to lie to God, you know what? He's got bigger problems. And I can go without the sheep, and I can go without the ox, and I can go without the donkey, because like Paul, I can say what? When I have abundance, I am provided for. And when I have nothing, I am provided for. And I can trust in what God has given me. And I know that if you want to be that kind of a scoundrel, (laughs) I don't want to be in your sandals when you stand before the Almighty. And he goes, what you doing? Because there's bigger problems there. Again, I can be actively righteous in how I live. I can be wronged and not try to take vengeance because I can trust that vengeance belongs where? belongs with God. It's his to deal with. Proverbs 6, and he'll deal with it. Six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utter lies, and one who spreads strife among brothers. See, in our world, we look at all those things and say, man, that's a diverse list, right? There's a big difference between having, you know, devising wicked plans, like plotting to steal some sheep from my neighbor and killing somebody, right? There's kind of a gap between those two things, isn't there? But in God's mind, no, because your heart is saying what in those, in both of those things? That you hate your neighbor, and you hate your neighbor because you hate who first? You hate God first, so you hate your neighbor. See the problem here? Our call is to say what? If that's how you want to live, then that's how you want to live. I'm going to stand over here, Stand where is right. I'm going to tell you that that's a problem, and I'm going to warn you that there is a judgment coming, and in the midst of that judgment, though, there's also what? There is a Savior who for that sin has died, and for a righteousness that is offered, offers you cleansing and forgiveness if you will trust in him. And then you don't have to walk over there. You too can walk over here, and we will no longer be adversaries. See, we can proclaim their wrath while also proclaiming their goodness. This is why I get a kick out of the protesters we get at the SBC, because, you know, I get a kick out of it. It's literally, um, let me see, we had um, just over 15,000 messengers attend the convention. Vast majority of them are pastors. Now, knowing the history of my profession, are we all good people? No, but would the vast majority of those people be what you would probably consider good guys? Yes, You listen for about five minutes, and you know what you'll never hear from those protests? We're going to hell. We're complicit in this. We're evil. There's never any grace. None. Not even a little bit. In Birmingham, when we were getting the protests on the uh, sexual abuse stuff, there was never any grace. There's never any mercy. In Dallas, when we had the protesters, we're evil. We're murderers, the whole nine yards. But there's never any grace. There's never any mercy. San Antonio goes back to, what, 2007? Same protesting group, well, probably not the same group, but 
group approach. It might be. Maybe that's why that woman was so tired on her sign. She's like, I've been doing this for 15 years and I'm tired. Anyway, who knows? The thoughts that I wonder. See, if our proclamation is only their destruction, we have not spread the gospel. We have not communicated the message of Christ. When we see sin, we say what? That's sin. The wrath of God abides upon sin. Is that it? Do we go home? I'm done. I told you you're evil. Bye. Have a nice life. <laughs> no. Yes, that's sin. Yes, that's evil. Yes, the wrath of God abides upon it. But he has offered a sacrifice. He has offered a cleansing that takes away the wrath, that removes the stain, that provides you righteousness if you would but trust in his provision. See, there's a mercy there's a grace. I would actually appreciate it if the protesters and their megaphones yelled out there and said, repent, guys. I'm like, all right, yes, for what? <laughs> you let me know for what, I'll start the list, and my answer is yes. Because when I find my sin, you know what I want to do? I want to kill it and drive it to the foot of the cross so that I can walk in the newness of life each and every day. But if there's no second half of the proclamation, then what we're really saying is me good, you bad. And that's not the gospel. Remember our caveman theology. Me bad, him good. That's the difference. When we say, me good, you bad, we've missed it. Once again, we're not more righteous than they are. Our righteousness is alien to us. It, is, it has been provided by Christ. It is strengthened by the Holy Spirit. We are guided by his plans and his work. Anything short of that, and we are no better and no different from them. When we forget that, it's because, again, we've forgotten eternity. We've forgotten how we get there. We forgot how we got here. Verse 12, if it is actually stolen from him, he shall make restitution to its owner. If it is all torn to pieces, let him bring it as evidence. He shall not make restitution for what has been torn to pieces. This is similar to last week. You do something, who's responsible for it? You are. If God does something, who's responsible for it? God. So if you're watching the flock, so neighbor loaned you some sheep or asked you to keep a look at him while he was off on vacation, and you were watching him, and you were doing everything you could, and one of the wolves snuck in and ate one of his sheep. You didn't see the wolf. You just found the carcass. You have no idea. Did you do that? Were you even negligent? No. God decided it was time for that sheep to die and for that wolf to get fed. You didn't do it. So what do you do? Bring the carcass and be like, look, dude. I'm so sorry, but I was out there, and my shepherds were out there, and we didn't see it. We found this, and I don't know how he got in, how he got out. We checked the fences. I just don't know. Sometimes stuff just happens, and we go, okay. And again, I lived righteously because I brought you the evidence. I told you what happened. You know what your call is? I don't like it, but you didn't do it. Can't be mad at you. God took one of my sheep. He decided the wolves needed to be fed today. I needed, to, I needed to learn to live without that sheep. So what will I now do? Learn to live without that sheep. But if a man borrows anything from his neighbor and it is injured or dies while its owner is not with it, he shall make full restitution. If the wolves didn't take it, but I did something negligent, whose fault is that? Mine. If its owner is with it, he shall not make restitution. If it is hired, it came for its hire. This is the best one. So I'm in charge of your sheep. You come back to pick up your sheep, and your sheep are walking around in the field just fine. You're now here. You know who's no longer responsible for your sheep? This guy. 
Like I, I rented a car to go down to the meeting in Nashville. If I return that car and give them the keys and it's parked in the parking lot and somebody runs into it, whose fault is that? Not mine. That's a you problem right there. I didn't do that. You, that's in your parking lot, your car, your keys. Not my fault. That's a you, that's a you problem there. Same thing. You're with the guy. Wolf sneaks in, eats the sheep. Well, what should you have done? <laughs> now, if I borrowed your sheep and I paid you for it and something bad happens to it, I don't know why you'd borrow a sheep like that. Maybe you should use an ox. I would actually use the ox for some work. And while I'm, uh, you know, I paid you for the day's work, I take the ox and it's plowing the field and it twists an ankle. Can oxen, oh, can oxen twist ankles? Do you know this one? Can, okay, we'll go with it. <laughs> How do you know that? Oh, cows can. Oh. Oh. So there you go. So yeah, I, I rented the oxen. He's plowing the field. He twists his ankle. Do I have to pay you money? No, I already did. You took on some responsibility when you let me borrow it and I paid you for it. See how that works? It's nice and easy. Just like if I damage the rental car, that's my fault. If the rental car has a thousand more miles on it than when I left, isn't that kind of why I paid the money for it? Like, I don't get to return and be like, you drove 1,100 miles? Well, yeah, that's why I rented the car, was to drive it. You don't get to bill me for actually doing the thing I paid you to do with it. So that's not my fault. Now, how do we make sense of all this? Because this is where it starts getting convoluted and your brain starts going fuzzy and your eyes start glossing over. Easy. All of these things are in place because the end of the day, to whom are we responsible? We're responsible to God to do what is good and to do what is right in his sight. And where we fall short, as his people, he has made a provision. And because of that provision, I don't see you as an adversary, but I see you as what? Either the object of my evangelism or as a fellow traveler on the road leading to his kingdom. In other words, as the law will summarize in Leviticus, you shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. You shall not swear falsely by my name so as to profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not steal, nor deal falsely. Uh, don't ask me, why is that copied in there twice? I'm sorry. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall, be, you shall not be partial to the poor, nor defer to the great, but you are to judge your neighbor fairly. You shall not go about as a slanderer among your people, and you are not to act against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart. You may surely reprove your neighbor, but you shall not incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge, because you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. See, when Jesus summarizes the law, he's not coming up with some grand new idea. He's going, hey, that whole law in Leviticus, it actually summarizes, it summarizes itself and says what? Love your neighbor as yourself and love the Lord your God with all that you are and then live in the world accordingly. We can only do that because God has redeemed his people. Realize that here in Exodus. Why doesn't he give them the law while they're slaves in Egypt? Because they can't keep it. They don't get to manage their livestock because who owns their livestock? The Egyptians. They don't get to manage their families because who owns their families? The Egyptians. So God has to remove them and redeem them from Egypt, set them as free people in his land, and then say what? Now this is how you honor me and honor one another and live in the world that I have given you. Christian, in your sin, you can't honor God. And the pagan who does not know Christ 
cannot honor God with his stuff because his stuff belongs to what? It belongs to his sin. And his pride and his idolatry and his family and his work all belong to what in his mind? His sin. He can't bring it to God because he can't get it away from his own sin. But in Christ, we are redeemed. We are set free. We are removed from the slavery and power of sin and set as free people in God's world on a road to what will be his eternal good kingdom. And we are now told to, how do we honor him in our lives with all that he has provided for us and not scorn the world that he has made? Welcome to why we apply these the way that we do. Because we're applying them in a way that strengthen our hearts and our minds to love God because of who he is and what he has done. And then in light of what he has done, how do we honor that sacrifice? We show grace because why? We have been shown grace. We show love because why? We have been shown love. We can proclaim mercy because we have received mercy. I don't have to take vengeance because I understand that there is a God who will deal justly. I don't have to worry about your injustice because I know there is a coming kingdom that is good and right and holy where all of these wrongs will be made right. How I think is determined by what and how I think God is and what he is doing in this world. Christian, you have to orient your mind each and every day, not with, what are we doing today? No, what are we doing for eternity? Because when you figure out what you're doing for eternity, what you're doing today is real easy. Because the, the decisions you'll have to make each and every day, each and every moment, will be seen rightly in the light of who God is and how he calls you to live. Let's pray. Again, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the mercy and grace that you have shown, for the love that you have provided, that you strengthen our hearts and our minds, that you wash away our sin and renew our thinking that you strengthen our souls, that we may be your faithful servants. Lord, there is much work that we cannot do, but by your grace and by your power, it will be done. And we ask, Lord, that you would strengthen us, that whatever may be before us, that we would encounter it faithfully, not caring about ourselves, not worrying about this world, but worrying about your kingdom, striving for the eternity that is good and right with you. And Lord, until that day, hold us safe, and keep us strong that we would be your faithful people. There you go. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks. Because he's given Jesus Christ his son. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because he's given Jesus Christ, his son, and now let the weak say, I am strong, and let the poor say, I am rich, because of what 
the Lord has done for us. And now, let the weak say, I am strong. And let the poor say, I am rich. Because of what the Lord has done for us, give thanks with a grateful heart, give thanks to the Holy One, give thanks, because He's given Jesus Christ His Son. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because He's given Jesus Christ His Son. And now let do we I am strong, and let the poor say, I am rich, because of what the Lord has done for us. And now, let the weak say, I am strong. And let the poor say, I am rich because of what the Lord has done for us. Give thanks. Agra reminders. Um, if you haven't done that on your envelopes or on the uh, Prayer requests, the clerk would have me remind remind me to have you guys fill out prayer requests in those envelopes so that way we can get them sent out during the week and be reminded of them. So be sure to keep a check out for, uh, for prayer requests as they come through. Um, lunch next week, so we'll have stuff, bring stuff. We appreciate it. You are welcome, welcome, welcome. Oh, and Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Um, there's a gift. So Cameron just waved it at me. So someone will be back there to tackle you guys, I'm sure. So let's pray. Again, Lord, as we leave, we ask that you would strengthen us that as you uphold this world, you would uphold your children, keeping us safe, guarding us until your kingdom comes. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.